So Nate, this is episode 80. Whoa, today. look at us. Yeah. And you know what? I remember when we first started this podcast, the very, within the first 10 episodes, I'm like, I don't, what am I going to talk about past like episode 10? <laughs> yeah, totally. And as we got into like episode 10 through 15, I'm like, man, I'm really, I don't know what we're going to do. And here we are at episode 80. And so yeah, I got to tell you folks, I hear some variation of, oh, I don't know what I'd say on our social media posts. I don't know what to write on emails to people in my studio. You just got to commit to doing it. And then your brain finds a way to make it work. So here we are in episode 80. And I mean, not only that, we have so many ideas in our idea file for future episodes. Yeah. We could go for a long time without even thinking of another one. And today's episode is actually a good example of how we've managed to create an abundance of topics to talk about, because this is really a continuation of a episode that we did a few weeks ago that was released. Mm. We did an episode on sales scripts mm-hmm. and the you know perfect trial lesson script, the perfect phone consult script. Yep. And as we were doing that, I realized there's too much here. And so we broke off a small part of that episode and said, hey, we should just deal with that in its own episode. We should just cover that topic. And that's what today's topic is. And I'm going to, I have a few tentative titles. Uh, One is five (laughs) reasons why your trial lessons suck. Maybe a more, (laughs) more appropriate, maybe a less offensive one would be um, why students aren't converting when they come to your school or why they don't seem to be interested in what you have to offer. No matter what we call it, this is episode 80. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Daniel. This is Nate. We're here yep. to help you run a mission-driven systems-based school that is fun to run and own. Uh, and we do that by unpacking topics that are really, really important, things that we see in our clients, things that they're struggling with, questions that we get asked. And today's episode is coming from something I've observed for a very, very long time. I've been doing this since 2015, helping studio owners with group lessons, helping them with marketing, helping them run a great school. And over and over again, I will get into the metrics of a school and I'll mm. look and look at their funnel. I'll just look at the numbers of their funnel. This many people discovered their site. This many people came to their site. This many people actually filled out a lead form or gave them a phone call. Of that, this many people actually signed up for a trial lesson. So they've gone through this entire process, gone out of their way to come to the studio for an open house or made time in their busy evening to have a phone consult with a school owner. The school owners had to do all this work to get them on the phone or get them in the trial. And then at the 10 yard line, the ball gets fumbled and the person decides not to join the studio. Why? Mm. That's what we want to explore here today because I have a lot to say about this topic. I have a lot to say about it because I have dealt with this problem personally a long time ago. And then I've seen it in my clients where they just are mystified. They're perplexed. They're getting They're getting 10 trials on the calendar in a month, but they're only closing three of those students. What's happening? Right. I found five major reasons why, and I'm sure there's more, but we're going to cover the five that just immediately came to mind. Five problems, five reasons why some studios have trouble, quote unquote, closing the deal. And I will say that even if you do have a pretty good percentage, even your percentage is up there, I would still say there's something to get in this episode you can look at the process and refine it even more because even though my close percentage was pretty high, I found that as I rooted these problems out in my own studio in the last five years that it was still open, 
I went from parents that were saying yes to parents that were ecstatic about joining my studio. Parents that were really excited that from the moment they joined, they were having a different kind of experience than student than parents who'd been coming to my studio a decade earlier. And it's because I dealt with some of these problems. So Nate, that's how I'm setting this one up. I'm ready to jump into it, but I'm curious if you have any questions to start out with about anything I've said here. I'm just going to say, I'm going to say what I oftentimes say, which is if you're listening, get your notepad out because (laughs) I've been doing this a long time and I looked at your prep note. I mean, I think I just looked at your prep notes in just before the app and Mm. I was like, oh man, these are badass tips. Mm. I need to consider this at the factory. I need Mm. to talk to the team about this. I'm going to send the team this episode. So I'm totally inspired and I'm psyched. I say we go straight to number one because even just number one, I was like, man, I'm guilty of this. Okay, continue. No, (laughs) yeah. Thanks for that, Nate. Um, No, that's great. So reason number one, very simply, TMI. Too much Mm. information. Part of the reason why you're having trouble getting people to reach out to you and more to the point of this episode, part of the reason why people are checked out, not signing up for lessons with you, even after a phone consult or trial, just too much information. And the simple thing I'll say about this is that information doesn't sell. This is an extension of the advice that I would give for the entire funnel. You really only need to give, this is, this is the, the takeaway tip, you only need to give enough information at any point in the funnel for them to make the decision to move to the next point of the funnel. So at the top of the funnel where they're first encountering your ads, they're encountering a social media post. You do not need to sell the entire program in that post or in that ad. You only need to give them enough information for them to get, for them to feel motivated to take the next next step, which is to reach out to you. Similarly, once they reach out to you in your first email or phone call to them, you do not need to spend 30 minutes telling them about your policies. You do not need to spend all this time like talking about your background and where you got your degree and what your philosophy of music is and how much the kids have to practice. You only need to give them enough information to say yes to come into the trial. And then once they're in the trial, you only give them enough information for them to make to, to make the decision very easy to say yes to, to joining lessons with you. And mm. you know, we did a whole episode on what that trial lesson script should be. So I'm not going to rehash that. Arguably, mm. I maybe talked a little too much that episode. Honestly, I went back and rewatched some of that footage. And mm. uh, I thought, ah, I maybe I maybe talked a little too much here. Suffice to say, I will just say that uh, in the trial lesson, you need to adequately demonstrate or masterfully demonstrate that this can be a great experience for their child and give them enough information to say yes to joining the studio. And a lot of times what that looks like is not volunteering information that they're not asking for. And I think that is the really, really great tip. Now, in the upper end of your marketing, in the top part of your funnel, it's hard to know what they're asking for because they're not actually asking it. You're having to anticipate in advance what they're asking for at the top Mm. part of the funnel. But that just comes from market research over time. And we do that in my marketing training inside Grow. Anyone interested in that, just reach out to me. But when you actually have the live human in front of you or you're on the phone with them, if you only do a phone consult, you don't do an open house or trial, Spend most of your time asking questions and then hand the baton off to them and say, you know, hey, I've talked enough here. What questions do you have for me? And then just keep saying that over and over again. Let them ask a question. You answer it as succinctly as possible. 
maybe even have some prepackaged things that you say because you know that basically the same three to five questions get asked every single time you do this process. Mm-hmm. And then when you finish answering it, don't keep going. Say, any other questions? And let them run out of questions and then maybe offer the last thing that you should do, which is, hey, here's how you get started because you're just yeah. assuming that they will. So first one, too much information. That's probably the biggest one that I see. But Nate, yeah. do you have any well, questions for me? Bookmark episode 77. Right. Because that's where, Daniel, you go into really nice detail on the sales script and the process. And some of those last little points you put in there, you talk at length about in ep 77. Like mistakes you can recognize in yourself when you're on the phone, um, i.e. talking too much, et cetera, not asking the right uh, questions to get information, not listening enough, et cetera. Um, can I ask you, uh, I need a discerning I have a question here, and I'm wondering where you do this in the funnel, at what stage it happens. I want to talk about qualifying the lead versus closing the lead. Okay. Because it's what I really liked is you said you just need to you share only what's essential to move them to the next step in the process. Mm-hmm. At what point are you funneling people out? Are you saying, like, this is definitely not, I've qualified this lead. They're not appropriate for this school. It's not a yeah. good fit. Uh, is that well, a lot of top you, of the funnel or is that later? If you're doing your job, you don't even end up talking to those people. And here's what I mean by that. Mm, good. Tell me. The, the clearer you are at the top of the funnel about what it is that you do and the kind of outcome the child will get or the adult, if you're an adult studio, I always have to add that in. Right. <laughs> they will self-select out. So in my own personal studio, in in general, the area I was in, I didn't actually really have to weed a lot of people out, but that could be bias on my part because it could be that my marketing was so clear and strong at the top of the funnel that those people just never contacted me to begin with. Well, that's, Um, yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, let me just say this. After a certain point, I did not work with kids under the age of five and I didn't work with, I didn't really take kids who were past high school. Well, I guess they wouldn't be kids at that point. I didn't take adults. I didn't, I didn't work with um, anyone over the age of 18. Um, Truth be told, I wasn't getting a lot of 16 to 8-year-old, 18-year-olds that were wanting lessons. So it really kind of just went up to 15, 6 to 15. So, And even though I was very clear on the website about that, I still got a lot of leads every year that were preschoolers and adults. And I even went right. so far in the marketing as to like on my contact form put, we do not work with adult students. We do not work with preschoolers. And I don't think I wrote this strongly. I don't think I put do not contact us, but it was close to that. I don't remember exactly what it was because the site doesn't exist anymore. But I literally was that blunt about it, and I still got people contacting me. So that was the one kind of weed out that I was doing. Yeah, it just sounds like what you're saying is if we do our job well top of the funnel, we will qualify them. Yeah, that's right. So so what you're talking about around the closing, we've already – qualified the leads by the time we're spending time on the phone with him, et cetera. Okay. I love right. it. Thank so you that for that does clarity. Not, yeah. That does not fall into the, then that doesn't fall under the category of too much information. You do want to give information that's really, really clear on who it is yes. you're looking to work with and that sort of thing. I would just say this too much information thing more falls on just loading people down with a bunch of information that really focuses on like your policies, the method you use, the features, not the benefit, yeah. you know, features versus benefits, you're giving features. Um, you're talking about like the pathway to get to the goal. And frankly, we've talked a lot about, you know, well, actually we haven't talked about too much in the podcast, 
But in the larger universe of content that I've created over the years for Grow Your Music Studio, I have talked a lot about like um, how to know if you have a boring website or not. There's a blog post I wrote way back in 2016 that's still as relevant today as it was then. And, you know, just go to Google, type in Grow Your Music Studio, boring website, and you'll find that blog post. And maybe we'll put it in the show notes as well. But but there's a lot that I've written about or done videos on in terms of giving too much information in the top part of the funnel or, or during the funnel. And we have a whole marketing training that helps you implement that as well. Anyway, any other questions or should we go on to number two? No, let's hit number two. Okay. Uh, reason number two is what I'll call variability or winging it. So if you want to predictably sign up a lot of people, you need a predictable process. And again, that's what all of episode 77 is about. Yes. I'm not going to dive in on certain aspects of that again. There's a part of this that I wanted to talk about here, though. Um, mm. And that is, if you are, if, if you are winging it each time, what it does is betrays a lack of understanding about what a process is or what a sales process is and a refusal to do the work necessary. So this should come down to you sitting down with a blank piece of paper. It shouldn't take more than 15 minutes, 30, maybe 45 tops where you, where you actually take the framework we gave in episode 77 or a framework you learned elsewhere and you write down what you want to cover and the order in which you want to cover it, either on your phone consult or on your uh, or in your trial lesson. And again, I do think of this episode as separate from 77. I'm referencing 77 again, though. So if this is the first episode you've ever heard of this podcast, I would say we cover this in great detail on that episode. It was just a couple weeks back. But this is something huge. And I will tell you, I first became aware of this because way back in January of 2006, I drove out to Washington, D.C., to do a camp fair for the Piano Express summer camp with my good buddy mm. Greg Ginter, who's been on this mm. podcast a couple times. And we were uh, set up at this camp fair. All these other camps had their booths set up, and we we winged it. We were not aware of this principle at that time. And so we were just chatting with parents, and we didn't have a really predictable process. And I would tell you that in subsequent years, as we became more aware of this and actually had, these are the talking points. We're going to do it in 30 seconds or less instead of talking to them for five minutes and just loading them down with a bunch of information. We're, we're going to do it the same way every single time. And I will tell you that in later years, we had a lot more names and email addresses on that clipboard at the end of that weekend than we did that first year. Because yeah. I wasn't even reading those social cues of the parent being like, uh, I don't want to be in this conversation anymore. You know, just because yeah. since I was winging it, I was violating both rules. I was talking way too much. Yeah. I was giving way too much information. And yep. because I didn't have a plan, it just drug out, just drug out longer and longer, you know, when I could have given the information 30 seconds or less. I think the thing about winging it too is that it saps our energy. Like we, mm. we can't sustain. Yes. We, it's that, hard. I mean, I'm a, yes. you know, I've said this. I mean, you know, I'm an improviser. So there's a version of improvisation that is not energy sapping to me at all. You know, I'm mm -hmm. I'm at the piano playing in a rhythm jazz rhythm section. That's a very energizing thing. Um, but in no ways am I winging that moment. There's all this preparedness that goes into that version of improvisation, which is not what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You're talking about actually showing up at that camp table and every time having to make it up again 
And then you wonder why an hour and a half into it, you're exhausted, exhausted. by the process. Yes. <laughs> you're just like, ah. And frustrated because yeah. you can tell people don't want to be talking to you. And that, you know, that level of rejection over and over again isn't fun for anyone, even if you are 23 no, years old. Not sustainable. Yeah. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week, and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small, and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method, technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. So the actions that I would have people take, you know, in reference to number one, TMI, just be really clear on what your unique selling proposition is, the main point you want to convey. That's number one. Just get really clear on that. For reason number two, the variability or winging it, just write out what your process is. And we made a whole episode on, on and gave you a template for that. Okay. Yeah. Here's another action you can do. And that has, that's in reference to number three. Reason number three, why you're not closing your deals, why you're not getting these students to sign up, why they're talking to you on the phone, coming to your trial, and then just ghosting you, going off in the night, never hear from them again. You're being boring. <laughs> okay, tell me more about that. Yeah. So I want to tell you about an experiment I ran. This was about five years ago, as of the recording of this episode, which is uh, middle of 2023. I had. It's so funny how this how this happens. But I will ha- I will get w- one to one clients that I'm mentoring, and it's funny how I'll see the same problems come up at the same time, even though these people are in different parts of the country or even in different countries entirely that they're all kind of experiencing the same thing. It's weird how this has happened over the years, but I did have this. And this is partially why I wanted to do this episode this, this story right here. I had someone who I helped them build a Facebook and Google ads funnel. They had just moved to a new uh, area. They'd moved to a different state was having, they were starting from scratch and we spent the spring of spring and summer of 2018 building these funnels. We turned the funnel on, and in 45 days, on a very small budget, she got like mm. 42 lesson requests in mm. 45 days. It was like almost mm. one a day. She was ecstatic. Yeah. By the end of August, she was absolutely in the dumps. She she was very dejected because she'd signed four of those people up. Mm, it's a low conversion rate. Yep. Okay. Then at the same time, I was also working with another studio owner with a much bigger school, more established. She she was struggling. Um, and she had 
gotten a little, uh, not upset. Upset isn't the right word. She was just similarly dejected because mm. she'd gone through a, a series of trial lessons that she had personally done. Hadn't even These weren't even ones that her staff had done. She had personally done these and she'd had a low conversion rate as well. And then I had a few other people at the same time. It kind of all happened right at the same time. It was like the fall of 2018. Mm. That's why it stands out to me. So I had them all do the same thing. I had them set up their phone camera. They all had iPhones or, you know, whatever, smartphones. Yeah. Had them set up their phone camera and record a trial lesson for me. Yes. And I took time out of my own schedule and I watched all these videos. And what I saw just forever changed how I viewed people telling me, oh, I just can't get people to sign up in the studio. Oh, I guess mm. I guess parents just don't care about music education anymore. Uh, no, yeah. you're being boring and you're giving too much information and you're winging your process. And if you just will address these issues, you will go like 10 out of 10 month after month. And, and what I saw in these videos was just, it was like a slow rate of speech. There was like a listlessness, a mm. listlessness to, to the presentation. They were doing the trial and there were some other things that I'm going to talk about in problems four and five that I'm tempted to say mm. about here, but I saw these things, the next couple ones I saw also in these videos and I'm not singling any one person out. I kind of saw this across all of them, some uh, some to more degree in, in some of them than in others, but they were all present. But it was just this, you could just tell that the studio owner wasn't really sure what to say. Yes. And so what I saw was here they have these kids in the trial. They do the trial. That part went fairly smoothly. But then when it came time to talk to the parent, when it came time to to, to close the deal, so to speak, there was just no urgency. There was no persuasive elements there. Um, in some cases, one of the parent was like playing around on their phone because it was like both parents were there. Mm. And it's like the one parent kind of looks at the other. And I actually watched this happen where like at one point, the studio, one of the studio owners turned away from the parents and the parents kind of looked at each other and kind of gave this look to each other. I thought, oh my word. They're, they've already decided they're not doing this. Well, Daniel, oh. if I could, here's the thing that's fascinating about that exercise. You're asking them to send it to another objective viewer. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge differentiator right there. It's because it's not the same for me to sit and watch the video of me teaching a trial because I'm like, oh, look how entertaining I am. I seem mm -hmm. fine. I'm saying all the right things. No, it's it reminds me of when BMF, actually, you were helping us with this. You were coaching us on this. And we were setting up a whole trial lesson system, which we'd never really done. Mm. And one of the things we did, it was all happening online because it was happening in 2020. Um, one of the things we did was we started recording all of them. And then we would do roundtables with the teachers where we would look at the recordings. And not only would we look at the recordings together and give feedback to one another, but we'd also look at the conversion rate. And guess who didn't have the highest conversion rate? Me. I was going to say, was it you? <laughs> I was like... What? I'm the freaking like I'm the most entertaining teacher in the world. That's fine, but I wasn't closing at the highest rate. Hmm. And so we actually changed the outline. I mean, of course, like I had originally with Ben had designed the outline for the trial lesson. And then we basically shelved a bunch of my ideas. And instead we implemented some of these other teachers that had a much higher closing rate. Hmm. And so I just <clears throat> love that number three exercise. You know, yeah. film yourself and then give it to somebody else to assess and have a roundtable yeah. on it. 
I totally agree. And I think this isn't necessarily with the theme of the episode, but you brought up a great point there that I, I just want to expand on. And that is if you are a school owner and you entrust a staff member to, to do your trials for you, you have to run game tape on them. And yeah, we've gone a couple episodes and I haven't made a reference to my favorite documentary, The Last Dance, but I will say this, Ooh. Michael Jordan's personal trainer would get film of Michael's games and would count the number of steps he took during yeah. a game and which side he favored on in a game. And he would design his training regimens for the next week based on the <laughs> games he had. That is just a level That's of deep amazing. That, we don't have to go that deep here. I'm just saying. I, no, I would love to. Perfect, perfect, perfect place to drop that little analogy. <laughs> yeah. But point is, is if you're a school owner, you you really need to run game tape on yourself. If you're doing them, you need to run game tape on your on your staff. And that is a way. I mean, look, if this just feels like yet another thing, oh, another thing Daniel tells me I have to do, you will get benefit doing it only one time. Just do it one yeah, time. Yeah. Don't don't run it for years. Just do it one time. The number of improvements you'll make doing it just one time is huge. And I will also say, I don't often toot, well, maybe I do. I was going to say, I don't <laughs> often toot my own horn on this podcast, but I will say in a 10-year period, I closed every single trial except one in 10 years. In 10 years, I only got rejected one time. Every single person, if they came in the studio, it was a guaranteed close for me. And that one time was a very advanced student that came in and they were wanting to learn how to do jazz. And I just, yeah. I was very clear to them, like, hey. <laughs> they got to the top of your funnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hey, you know, uh, you probably should go to this guy who I know is a great jazz piano teacher. So I kind of yeah, totally. told, I'm kind of the reason why that one didn't close. I told him to go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I just want to say that, that, that for me, this isn't theoretical. This is something I took really, really seriously. Even before I had this, uh, business of Grow Your Music Studio. And before the podcast, I was recording my own trials on my phone and I would watch them back. And uh, hey, I'll just tell a tale of myself very briefly here. One time I watched it and I just was really unhappy with how much I was kind of joking around and being flippant um, mm. in, in, in the process of that trial. Like I, maybe I'd let all the success go to my head or something, but I was just so certain that everyone was going to say yes when they came in that. I when I when I watched myself, I just didn't like what appeared what I'll just call ego, um, kind of showing up and just the way that I was carrying myself and the way that I was talking. And I took note of that and I dialed myself back. I, I brought the personality back somewhat. And um mm. that's just one thing that I saw, you know, one time that I actually did that process myself. Should we move on or do you have anything else yeah, to say let's on go. this one? Nate? No, I think okay. I'd love to hear. You got a couple of more really yeah. great. Uh, so number here. one, yeah, number one was TMI. Number two was winging it. Number three was being boring. Uh, this next one was also something I saw in the the, the videos from those um, mm. teachers. In fact, the final three, I mean, all five really are, but these final three are kind of all um, closely related, in my opinion, because they're errors of execution. Mm. The first two were more like conceptual, more like, hey, just don't do this across everything. But this is more like, hey, in the actual interaction, these are these are people problems, so to speak. So number four is um, kind of losing control of the trial or just discipline issues with the kids that you're teaching. This is what I saw on those videos. So I saw a trial happening and a teacher 
attempting to teach the concepts there. And in the same way that they were kind of listless and a little bit directionless with the parents later, they kind of had that same rapport with the child that it became evident very quickly that they weren't willing to do what it takes or they weren't sure what to do to keep that child's attention 100% engaged and to have and, and to show who was boss in that moment. And there usually is a moment early in that interaction between you and that child where there's like a little bit of a power struggle. And if you, if you sense that with the student, you don't have to be an ogre. You don't have to be overbearing or domineering. You don't have to put on your teacher voice. It really is just a matter of redirecting the attention. And it can be in a positive way where you get that child back on track. So I always worked with digital pianos. My main piano was a Roland RD-800. And if anyone knows the Roland RD series, it's got a ton of buttons just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like if you think the Yamaha P series or Yamaha Arias or Clavinovas have, you know, they have a fair number of buttons. Like the RD-800 looks like a cockpit of a jetliner. And um, mm. so kids would just, every once in a while I'd have a kid that would start pressing buttons and I wouldn't scold them. I wouldn't tell them not to do it. I would just redirect them back to what I just asked them to do. And I did reference this back in episode 77. I would just keep repeating the same direction over and over again in kind of a very neutral tone of voice until the child did what I asked them to do. And there was only one time in a very, very long period of time where that technique didn't work. And, however, there was also this, there was also this very clear sense of what my script was for getting kids through the first 17 pages of Faber in that 18 minutes. So mm. I pretty much said the same thing every single time. So oftentimes a good offense is the best defense. I know that's kind of mm. flipped around from what that, that, um, what that, uh, how that phrase normally goes, but it, I, so I, I had, I had such a script that those kids didn't even really have a chance to start fooling around. They were yeah. just completely wrapped up what I was doing. And what I observed on the video was teachers or owners who were kind of stumbling over their words. They weren't Let's... addressing those issues. And, and I'll even just, I'll give one really specific example. And let me toss it over to you, Nate. But yeah. there was, this one's huge. I saw one where they were working with a younger child, maybe a six-year-old. And this teacher clearly asked the six-year-old to do something and the six-year-old really, I did think didn't understand it. And so then they actually started just hitting keys at the top of the keyboard. And I will never forget this, what the teacher did next. She said, Oh, I see you found the high keys there. Mm. At that moment, she gave up control. She made it okay that the child was doing that by validating what they did and trying to kind of like save face in front of the parents. She was verbally trying to make what the child was doing okay instead of redirecting the child. And so guess what she got more of for the rest of that lesson? That child yeah. was doing whatever they wanted. And by the end of that lesson that I was watching on this video, um, those kids, because there, it was a brother and a sister, they weren't really paying attention to her at all. She lost control of that. That was also the one where the parents were kind of looking at each other. Like that trial went out of control. And it goes back to something I said in the last episode, which was whoever wins the social interaction also wins the financial transaction. <laughs> so underneath, 
underneath these business interactions, there is a social interaction going on. And if you are likable, people are more likely to buy from you. I won't quote all the cliche statistics that we all read in Robert Cialdini's book 40 years ago. Like we know about the six things of uh, the six principles of persuasion. And by the way, mm. this is the first time you've heard it, which if you listen or watch any business literature, this is one of the mm. most cliche things ever, but it's in his book called Influence, which was written in the 80s, but right. it's still applicable now. Um, but that whole idea of people liking you and um, mm. but there's also got to be that trust factor, too. And if you're boring, if the parents see that the kids are misbehaving, like they're just not going to trust you to, to work with them. And that kind of leads me right. to the fifth tip. Should we go there, Nate? Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Loving it. Not fifth tip. Just the fifth reason. Fifth reason why yeah. people aren't signing up. And that is just a lack of confidence. And I don't mean that that's kind of broad. That can mean a lot of different things. Let me just say what I'm not saying here. This has nothing to do with being an introvert or an extrovert. Mm. It has nothing mm. to do with, you know, are you the life of the party or not? I am slightly introverted. I prefer to be alone, to be honest. Um, mm. I think I've learned to talk a lot. <laughs> I didn't used to talk this much. Um, Dig it. Hey, for the first couple of years I was running Grow, I didn't make a single video. It was like pulling teeth to get me to do it. I hated it. You know, I learned. Point being is that um, when I'm talking about lack of confidence, I'm just meaning lack of confidence oftentimes shows up as lack of confidence in what you're actually selling. Yes. Uh, and so if you don't believe that you can help the person in front of you, or if in your mind you've already given up, uh, you know, if in your deep subconscious, like, oh, here's another kid that's not going to practice. Oh, here's another kid that's going to struggle for a couple of years and then quit because that's what's mm. happening in the rest of your studio. Mm. You're not, you're not going to show up as a confident person in a sales interaction because deep down you don't believe in your product. Yes. That's yes. This is that purpose. This is that mission. This is that getting really clear on the, your why. Yes. Huh? Yes. But what I'm really talking more about is confidence in the product, not your overall vision and why. I just mean, do you believe, look, if you're the one teaching the lessons, do you believe that this child is going to be happy in a year? Do you believe that in a year, this child more or less will be flying through their book? Or do you know deep down that, oh, it's going to be like every other student of mine or every other student of, you know, the teachers in this school, if you're a multi-teacher school, um, that the parents are going to be complaining about this. They're going to be fighting me on policies. The students yeah, will kind yeah, of yeah, be yeah. bored, lackluster. Like, that's a product problem. And if you've got that's a product a, problem, I, you will not show up as a confident person in your sales interactions. And I have a solution for that, but it sounds like you wanted to say something first. Well, no, I'm just going to you're absolutely right. This is a bucket number two, delivery on promise. You can yeah. have the greatest promise in the world. But if you don't have an in-classroom experience that consistently delivers on that promise with measurables, yeah, yeah, no wonder you're showing up to the trial looking at the kid and being like, well, they're too young. They're not talented enough. Their parents won't be invested in enough. Yeah. Da, 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 da. You know, you can go through the checklist of all the reasons why it's yeah. not going to work. If, if you find yourself thinking things like, oh, nobody cares about the arts anymore, or you think, oh, I just want to find... Um, really well-disciplined kids, or yeah, yeah, totally. I really <laughs> just want to find people who are serious about music. That's a product problem. That is not a them problem. That is a you problem. And I know those are yeah. hard words to hear, but I've rarely met the studio that has a great product and is turning out great students 
that uh, is uh, that, that is also saying those things. And I will also say, and I'll go back to something I said years and years ago in a training of mine, and I've consistently had people who've gone through my group lesson training come back and say, hey, this this part really made an impact on me. And it really didn't have anything to do about group lessons. And it was something I said in my group lesson training where I mm. said, great students are not found, they are created. And they are mm. created through an amazing process, an educational process that you put those kids through that takes kids that are maybe a little scattered, maybe aren't too interested in music, maybe they're not the most well-disciplined kids in the world, and you tur- you you run them through your little music factory, and yeah. out the other end comes a kid who's actually really skillful at playing music, and they're not even quite sure how they how they got that way. Their parents are just a little bit confused. Like I literally had parents That's in my studio say, "Ah, you know," they, they would come in and they'd say, "I'm not sure." I'm not sure. Um, you know, we don't want them to become a concert pianist. You know, yeah. we're, we're just trying this out. And then like a year later, they've just completed their, you know, first or second role conservatory music exam. And they're like, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> and that happened, you know, right. in my studio. So that's a product problem. That's how you solve it. Essentially, like you teed up the whole episode on as a sales funnel episode. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we yes. get them all the way to an enrolled family? But you're really saying number in number five, you're saying just like with everything in marketing and sales, it can also be reflective of the rest of your business. Right. So yeah, I think that last tip is really essential because if we're lacking confidence, we're oftentimes it means there's a place to put the magnifying glass elsewhere in the business. One of the things I love about this podcast and what it's kind of helped me see, even though I've been doing this for a long time, is it's funny how so many different problems come back to me saying the same thing as a solution over and over again, have a process, Ooh. have a script for this. Like there's so right. many problems <laughs> that are solved in your studio just by having a sales script. And it's not just enrolling students. There's so many yeah. problems that are solved by, you know, having a, uh, a, a, um, a set process for how you onboard families that pay off dividends in your retention years down the road. hundred percent. So there are all 100%. these things I think that people can invest their time in that if you go back and you think, man, I don't know if I want to listen to another episode of the podcast. It's yet another thing I have to do. But if you go back and you listen, you'll hear that we're saying the same things an awful lot. And it really right. just comes down to, to the decision you've got to make. Do you want to do it now or do you want to do it later? Do you want to feel good mm. today or do you want to feel good later? And I'd say feel good today. <laughs> Make a script. <laughs> Make a script. Yeah. Yeah. Enroll more students. Close more of those trial lessons. Yep. Develop your confidence. Yes. You know, no, you're not boring. So yep. don't be boring in a trial. Build great relationships with parents. Um, entertain yep. those kids. Make them a the high point of their week, the thing that they're looking forward to. And so many of those things you know, are just connected to preparedness, thoughtfulness, planning things out in advance. It goes back to one of my favorite Naval quotes. All self-help boils down to one principle long-term over short-term thinking. Mm. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please 
share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.